0: you would turn in your scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 We have a fascination in this culture with what we see It's because when we see things we experience them at the same moment and we love to experience things And I've watched two camps develop in uh, in my time with Christianity although these have been camps for a long long time that is the, the people who love the mysterious things and what they see with their eyes because they can build a faith on an immediate interruptive experience and that thrills them. There is another camp that treats that as an anathema. That that is totally ridiculous and therefore we must rely totally on reason. As a matter of fact... If we could accumulate man's wisdom, we then could get a picture of God without depending on emotionalism. Last month, on our way to 10-year journey, we stretched your faith. This month, we want to stretch our minds. We want to be able to begin to see with God's wisdom instead of men's wisdom. Let me read to you from the second chapter. And I'm going to read from verse 1 because it just doesn't do the trick to start with verse 6. This is Paul to the church at Corinth. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Now, after that, you've got to put a little parenthesis that says only. Only. Or of wisdom only. Because soon you will see that Paul doesn't throw out wisdom. He just says that was not his device for helping them understand. That was not his piste résistance. That was not his main uh, persuasive point. Proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. In other translations it says to concentrate only on Jesus Christ. And him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not to pervasive words of men's wisdom only, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, in other translations, it goes, it, it puts it like this of the Spirit and God's power to persuade of the truth. All right? It is the Spirit and the power of the Spirit that is persuading us of the truth of the message. Now, in verse 6, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now, there's that word again. The word we're going to be seeing for ten years, teleos. Those who are um, thinking in spiritual terms. Those who can conceive as God conceives. Those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age only, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, it says what? Knowledge shall pass away. It means worldly wisdom. Worldly knowledge shall pass away. But we speak of God's wisdom in a mystery. Now, we know two things here. We know from this, well, let me me finish this verse. We speak of God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Now, we know two things. We know, first of all, that the the mystery, the wisdom of God is hidden to those who are not believers. We also know that it is not a temporary wisdom. When you are convinced and convicted of this wisdom, it is an eternal wisdom. It does not change. In contrast to the wisdom of this age, that continually changes. Alright? Now, it says, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as, as it is written, Things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those, look at this, who love him, There's a different dynamic than just a mind dynamic there, isn't it? Who love Him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, that is our textual verse. That's the one we're really going to take off on this morning. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit... Searches all things, even the depth of God. I had a gal in my office this week and I tell you about her because she is typical of people that come through my office and I'm sure through Dick's and maybe through some of yours. She was a person who just happened to visit Northland a couple of weeks ago and wanted to come in because she had no religious background whatsoever. And she felt pulled toward getting a religion. And she had two questions for me. And these questions seem very basic. But they are questions that all of us, if we were honest, would say we have asked ourselves. First of all, she wanted to know, how do I know this stuff is true? Second of all, she wanted to know, how do I know what you say is true? In contrast to what other religions are saying is true. Those were the two basic questions. Very Good questions. Now let's go back to our two camps here. The one camp says, well, you know it because you experience it. And that's how you know it's true. But someone might say to you, you can experience a lot of things and think they're true, but they fade. Remember the first little bit of puppy love that you had. That was the real thing. And then you had another real thing. And then you had another real thing after that. And finally, hopefully, you got to your final real thing. But you can experience a lot of things and be absolutely convinced that they're the real thing, can't you? So you can't go by experience alone. You get over this camp, and this camp says, Of course you can't. Of course you can't. You've got to go by reasoning. Reasoning doesn't change. Our whole philosophical base for our Western culture is built on the foundation of Aristotle's philosophy, his metaphysics. And philosophy, for Aristotle, was using reason to reach the truth. Theology was a compartment of philosophy. And so it is very much uh, a part of our background in this culture to believe that you can reach all truth through reason. But wait. Wait. Let me give you three reasons why men's wisdom is not adequate to found faith. When I was talking with this young lady, I continued to say, in in my mind, I've got to give her enough facts so that her reason can have a reason to believe, can have a basis and know what to believe. But I know in my mind the facts aren't going to do it. The facts themselves will not do it. Now, I'll give you three reasons why facts won't do it. First of all, because there's something in us that doesn't want to know the truth if the truth is inconvenient or if the truth disagrees with what we already say. Most people don't come to church to hear something that disagrees with them. Right? Most people come to church saying, give me comfort, tell me I'm right. And when it comes to something that you disagree with, you go, whoop, 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 whoop. Wait a minute. I don't believe that. Most people don't come to yield themselves to anything. Most people come to stay in control, and they want reasons, and as long as they can build their own religion in their mind, then they can be in control. See? So you give me enough reasons to believe, and I'll tell you what I believe. Don't you tell me what to believe. I'll tell you what I believe. The problem there is that we tend not to want to see anything that makes us uncomfortable. So that's where our reason stops. Not because the reason is inadequate, but because something in us, in us says, whoops, that's getting uncomfortable. I'll tell you a story I heard this week. Two guys riding on the subway. Friends, good guys. One of them has his eyes closed. The other one looks at him and says, are you asleep? He says, nope. He says, then why are you riding with your eyes closed? He says, I tell you, I was raised in the South. And there's a lady standing on this subway. And if I open my eyes, I'm going to have to look at her. And if I look at her, I'm going to have to get up and give her my seat. Friends, that's exactly where we are. We will see what we want to see, but we know what we don't want to see. Because we got to get up and give God the throne. We've got to give Him control if we see it. So we'll stop short. I have spent hours with people who were inquiring about the rationale for Jesus Christ and explained to them in what I thought was very adequate terms. answered every question, and at the end of it they said, "Whoop! still don't believe. And then I realized it wasn't about reasoning, it was about comfort. I don't want to change my life. I don't believe, not because I don't understand, I don't believe because I don't want to change. So reasoning is inadequate for that reason. It will not bring you to the point of faith. Secondly, it won't bring you to the point of faith because anything that you can reach by reasoning, you can change your mind about. Right? It will never bring you to the kind of faith that is unshakable because if you got there by thinking, you can think otherwise just as easily. You can build up all kinds of reasons to believe in something and then when something else comes along, you're either defending very uncomfortably what you've already built up or you're changing your mind. There's no stability in a faith like that. So therefore, reasoning can't get you to the place of a faith that cannot be shaken. Reasoning alone. Let me give you a third reason. Reason alone, or the wisdom of man, is inadequate because there is a common heresy that comes from a religion that is built solely on reason. And the heresy is one of the oldest in the world. It's one that... Paul struggled with in the New Testament. The heresy is called Gnosticism. In Greek, gnosis means to know. When Terry Taylor was here a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with him and I I love to talk with Terry. Terry is the U.S. Director of the Navigators and we're good buddies and we sat down and and Terry travels all over the United States and all over the world and I love just to say, Terry, what are you seeing out there? And he said, Joel, I see the most virulent form of Gnosticism I've ever seen in the Christian community. Christians believe that because they know more about God, they are actually closer to God. They believe that the more answers they have, the more of a Christian they are. They connect information with being. It's frightening. Well, that's another reason... Why? Reaching faith simply by man's reason will be inadequate. It will lead you astray. You will begin to think that you're a better Christian because you know more. And that's not what makes a better Christian. Now, let's go to God's alternative here. It's in both camps and more. The Bible says that God wants us to have The mysteries kept secret in the universe. But that God himself must reveal them to us. It doesn't come from our experience. It doesn't come from our reason. Nobody can give you this but God himself. Through his spirit. Nobody. But I want you to know he wants you to have them. He wants you to know the mysteries of the universe. Let me just give you one verse. There are many of them, but I will, I I'll give you just one verse right now. I'll, I'll give you two. Matthew chapter 13, verse 11. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? In other words, why are you telling so many stories? I've had the same, same thing said to me. Why do you tell so many stories? Give us the real stuff. You know? Listen. The genius of storytelling is that it does not only affect the mind, it affects the heart. Jesus knew that. And he knew if somebody could harden their heart, even after a story, that they were not of the kingdom of God, and they would never understand. Jesus says to his disciples, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them... It has not been granted. Now, we'll explain more of that second part later on in in subsequent sermons. But I want you to know today, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You cannot learn them on your own. God must teach them to you, but he will teach them to you. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. Let me read this to you. These are also the words of Jesus when he explains why he was going away and why we will be better for it. Look at this. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into, look at those words, all the truth. Let me ask you a question. What if I were to say today to those of you who love philosophy, and I know some of you do, some of you love to talk philosophy. What if I were to say to you that by some means I could reach back into history and I could retrieve Socrates or Plato and Aristotle and I could have them come and spend a day with you? Just walking as Aristotle used to do, and teaching. And what if I were to say to you that God would give you the gift of interpretation so that you could understand everything they had to say and they would spend all day with you just teaching you about the basics of how to understand the world in terms of philosophy. Would you love that? Would you go for it? What about those of you who are scientists and and, and you love fields like uh, mathematics and, and uh physics? What if I could reach back and pull Einstein into the present? And he would come and he would be your personal teacher for a week. And he would tell you in terms that you could understand how he reached the theory of relativity. And how the implications of the speed of light for the measurements of the universe could enlighten you for the rest of your life. Would you like that? Would you go for it? Let me get maybe even a little bit more practical for most of you. Most of you struggle with family dynamics. You wonder about raising kids. You wonder about relationships in, in uh, uh, marriage, uh, what to do, how to react. What if I could call up James Dobson? Say, Jim, I've got this person in my congregation. Would you mind coming out and just living with them for a month? And let them ask you any question they have. And he say, well, sure, Joel. You know how close we are. <laughs> sure. No problem. I didn't have anything to do. Anyhow, I'll be right out. But what if he would? What if he'd come to live with you for a month? And, you, and he could observe and get to know your kids and get to know your marriage and you could ask him any question. Jim, what would you do about this? What insight do you have for me here? Would you like that? Would you go for it? I will tell you something a million times more important than that. God has given you the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. All of it. He's given you, for the rest of your life, a personal teacher. Where He can communicate a wisdom that does not change, that does not fade. Now, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to ask Him to teach you? Because that's where wisdom comes from. It comes from God. Not with the persuasive words of men. It's God who must teach us how the world really is. It says that right in this passage. I came to you that your wisdom might rest on the power of God. Went to a revival meeting this week. A friend of mine is a, there was a revival put on by the black churches of Orlando, and a friend of mine is a pastor at a Carter Tabernacle CME Church, Roderick Zach. He invited me, and I said, "Well, Roderick, the only night I can get there is Wednesday night, but I really want to come." And so I took Becky, and we went down on Wednesday night. I want to tell you what I'm sorry for ever calling myself a preacher. I apologize to you. I didn't know what I was saying. I walked in this place, and it was the most fantastic thing. I mean, the worship was great. The music was great. Here's two little white faces. you know, <laughs> back in... We just felt immediately at home, though. I did. I felt at home the whole time. And by the way, I went away from there and said, forget this. I I canceled Thursday night. I got my boys and I said, you guys got to hear this. And I went right back. We went right back Thursday. I mean, it was just, I just had. But listen to this. They invited in to preach a Dr. C.A.W. Clark. Caesar A.W. Clark from Dallas to preach. Here's an old guy. Looks like a black Yoda. Just comes. He did. He did. Came up. Came up this microphone, came out like this. Shorter than I was. <laughs> shorter, shorter than I am. I like lo- yeah, really? I'm serious. <laughs> I love it. In in their churches they encourage preachers. When I say shorter than I am, somebody shouts, No way, you know. <laughs> Anyhow. So here we all are. I mean they call the preachers to the front to encourage the preacher. That's how it is. That's part of it. See? And they have some back there encouraging him when he, when he gets going. Here comes this guy up to this microphone. And you think, that poor guy isn't even going to make it from the chair to the microphone. He was close to 80 years old. And he leans on that thing. And he starts out. It is a regrettable thing when strong men are separated and I thought this guy is not going to make it through this message (laughs) but he went on and I was wrong and the longer he went on the wronger I got (laughs) to the point when he got to the end of his message he said now I don't know as much as you know you know in my native state of Louisiana when I was growing up We didn't have about three months to go to school. And if cotton opened early, we didn't have three months. So I don't know as much as you know. (laughs) But I know God's promises. I know that one of God's shalls is stronger than all of men's wills. I know that. Well, I don't know as much as you know. I mean, y'all have education way beyond where I know. But I I know God's promises. And I know. And then he began to to repeat one after another. Those who believe when the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Man, by the time we... It's a good thing there were not seatbelts on those pews. (laughs) Because the pews would have come right up off the floor. I mean, it was powerful. And it was not just a gift of preaching. It was the Holy Spirit who was convicting us of the truth of what God had said. That is supernatural wisdom. When God Himself is teaching us. It is not something that God gives to those who study the hardest. It is not something that God gives to those who are the most sincere. It is not something that God gives to those who put in the most effort or really want to make it and be the most wise. It is something that God gives as He wills. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And all we can do is ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be open to the Holy Spirit and then listen when God gives us the knowledge that we need and we will be convinced and it will not fail because it's not a matter of our experience. It's not a matter of our reason. It's a matter of God told me and I know it. I see it. You understand? Jonathan Edwards, in one of his messages, said this. It is, a, is, it is rational to suppose that God would reserve that knowledge and wisdom which is of such a divine and excellent nature to be bestowed immediately by himself. That's who gives it to you. You don't get it. God gives it to you immediately by himself. And that it should not be left in the power of second causes. That is, our own intelligence, our own seeking, our own doctrine, our own denominations, or anything like that. It is rational to suppose that it should be beyond man's power to obtain this light by the mere strength of natural reason. For it is not a thing that belongs to reason, to see the beauty and loveliness of spiritual things. God gives those through the Spirit to those who love Him. And you know what? This is the most powerful thing about that knowledge. Turn to uh, Romans 11, chapter, or, I mean, verse uh, verse 36. Actually, verse 33 and 36. Let me, let, me, let me do this and I'll tell you a story. Revealed wisdom is more than correct answers. It is more than everlasting knowledge as men see it. It is more than things that don't break down as you go along with life. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Now look at verse 36. For from Him and through Him And to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. What does it mean when the Bible not only says, and God revealed them to us through the Spirit that searches all things, what does it mean even the depths of God? It means more than rational knowledge because the operative word there isn't depth, it's God. It's to God that God has a thirst for. Not that we would know more than anybody else, but that we would know Him better. Let me tell you a story. I'll close with this. This was written by the wife of a guy I went to seminary with 20 years ago, and I've never forgotten. It's so powerful in my life. And it's been such a releasing factor in my life. Germany, years and years ago, People lived in the hills, and there was a village down from the hills. And and one day, two little boys who had grown to almost manhood went and asked their mothers if they could go into that village alone, without parental supervision. And the mother, looking at the boys, said, Okay, I think you're old enough. I think you can handle it. Well, they got so excited they could hardly sleep that night. And the next morning, they were up early to run down into that village and see what there was to see. Now in that day, many of the craftsmen, many of the artisans, practiced their craft in the windows of their shop. The sculptor and the cobbler and the woodcarver. And as they were going along the street, looking into the shops, watching these men with their crafts, they came to the window of the woodcarver, working on a huge block. And they were standing there trying to guess what he was carving. And they thought they saw shingles and they thought they saw pillars on a porch. And one of them knocks on the window and said, I know what you're carving in there. That's a chalet. And smooth went the shingles and off came the pillars. And the wood carver looked at him and said, Nope. Well, one little boy got disgusted. I mean, he had too much to see to waste all day trying to figure out what that guy was doing. So he took off, but the other little boy did not move. He stood there, and he watched the shapes. And as soon as he thought he saw something, he would call in an answer. And the shape that he thought he saw disappeared under the knife of the woodcarver. Finally, the woodcarver motioned him in to sit on the bench near him. And the little boy's attention went to that huge block that he was carving. And the conversation started. Where do you live, son? I live in the mountains. Got brothers and sisters? Yeah. One sister, two brothers. Got a mom and dad. My dad died. Live with my mom. How about you? You got grandkids? No, no grandkids. Just a lot of children. Huh. And he thought he saw an oval shape. And he, he thought he saw... A cylinder, and he thought he saw another more pointed cylinder. He jumped up and he said, "Ha ha! Gotcha! It's an elephant!" And off came that pointed cylinder, and off came the oval cylinder. Off came the oval shape. The conversation continued, and the boy, keeping his eyes on that wood carving, thought he saw a huge cow that he thought would change into a huge dog, that he thought would change into a huge cat, that he thought would change... And on and on the conversation went. And all day they talked with one another as the old man carved. And the shapes he thought he knew disappeared before his eyes. Finally, it was almost dusk. And the woodcarver now was working with a little block of wood This time the boy would not be wrong. This was his last chance, and he was not going to open his mouth until he knew what that was. And he watched a beak form. And he watched the long neck flow into the body with graceful wings folded over the back. It was a perfect, perfect carving. And finally he said, so that's it. You have been making a swan. And off came the beak. Off came the neck. And off came the wings. And all that lay before them was a pile of shavings. The little boy was indignant. He was so angry. He said, I've spent my entire day here trying to guess what you were making and all the time you were making nothing the old man said "Oh, yeah I was the old boy boy looked at the shavings said what the old man said I was making an opportunity for us to get to know one another you know what all the answers in the world right or wrong are not as important as the opportunity to get to know God. doesn't matter if your answers come out true. What matters is that at the end of it, you arrive at a place of closeness to God. God's wisdom brings us there. It is from God and through God and to God. Would you pray with me? God, some of us have searched for so long, feeling the emptiness and the draw. Some of us have been have been fascinated by, by little trivial things because they are a manifestation of the deep hunger we have within us. Some of us have wanted answers and been very frustrated because when we thought we had them, they they faded away, and we thought that our knowledge of you depended on how much content we learned. Teach us, Lord God, that only you can give us the truth that will last forever and only you give us the truth that brings us closer to you. That those answers aren't for anybody, but for those who love you. Help us to love you. And help us as we go through this journey to have the Holy Spirit as our teacher so that he might lead us into all truth and he might lead us to love you more than we do even now. We pray this in Jesus' name.